Did you know Shopify doesn't allow more than 100 combinations of options on a product? What? No. Fortunately, there's a solution. Bold Product Options app, the number one options app on Shopify. Tell me more. It allows you to create as many options on products as you want in every type you can imagine. Like what? File uploads, text fields, text areas, radio buttons, checkboxes, color swatches, date pickers, and a couple others I forgot. Wow. Now, not only can it change prices on products, or those options can actually be products too. How so? All right, here's an example. An option could be add the matching hat or add a protective case. And then when customers select it, it actually adds that product in the checkout, increasing your average order value. But I hate long forms. Well, to boost conversions, Bold's conditional logic feature lets you show or hide options based off of what customers pick. For example, if you select custom engraving, then we only want to show the custom engraving text field after they've checked that box. Okay, where can I get it? If you need sophisticated options or just more than the standard 100 variant limit, this is the app you need. Right now, Bold is offering listeners of the unofficial Shopify podcast their product options app free for two months. Just go to kurtelster.com slash bold to install it and get your exclusive offer. That's kurtelster.com slash bold. I'm heading there now. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial. Welcome back to the Unofficial Shopify Podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, and on today's episode, we're talking about writing in my journal. Well, sort of. We're talking about the Mind Journal and the entrepreneur from the UK who brought it to market. Joining us today is Ollie Applin, co-founder of Mind Journal, the global men's journaling movement. And he has done a ton of incredible things, not just bring a product to market, but start a journaling movement and started that with a successful Kickstarter. So today on the show, I want to walk through his journey and see what we could take away from it. Ali, thank you for joining me. Hi, Kurt. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on your show today. I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, to be here and to be chatting to you. Absolutely. So when, we, when I say mind journal, what the heck is a mind journal? Uh, so yeah, uh, a mind journal is a journal that I have created uh, that is specifically for guys to just 
empty their mind, uh, you know, get all the thoughts out of their head and, and put it down onto analog paper um, and, uh, and journal. So I have a mind journal. Tell me cool. what about it is gendered. Like it's, it's the, it, the, the, I'm on your website. It says journaling reinvented for guys. And you said uh, journaling for men. What about this is gendered? To be honest, not much. Um, the the brand is what we've is is essentially what we've gendered. Um, the product itself and the and the framework we've put inside the journal um, is is not really gendered apart from one question, which is about uh, your role as a man. Um, most of the system and most of the journal is 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 open to be used by anyone. Um, what we wanted to do was create a brand that felt accessible to to all guys uh, to to actually get involved in journaling, which we thought wasn't really a a thing that existed in the market. Uh, hence, why we why we went off and created it. So previously, journaling was there was a a stigma against it. You thought you know this is a thing that men are. St- needlessly senselessly ignoring that can help with your your mindset your mental health yeah totally i think for me i mean i've been journaling for 10 plus years uh and i've always found it something ridiculously difficult to do um and i've just always used like a a blank moleskin notebook just because it felt the most comfortable tool for me to use and to to pour my thoughts into um but you know, after speaking with lots of my kind of guy friends and saying to them, you know, have you ever tried journaling? Have you ever thought about doing this? Um, they all kind of said the same thing, which was like, no, why would I do it? How do you do it? Um, isn't it something that just women do? Um, so there was this kind of like negative, like attitude towards the idea of journaling. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of, uh, yeah, build this, build a brand that could kind of just make guys feel a little bit more comfortable about the idea of doing it. Okay. And so with journaling, when you are faced with, like, I could just buy a notebook. Heck, I could take out a legal pad and I could start writing. If I have a pen and a piece of paper, in theory, I could journal. But being faced with a blank piece of paper with no prompt actually makes it a lot more difficult. So mm. you've got this, this product that it's a framework. It is a system. It is a series of writing prompts that makes journaling significantly easier and, in theory, more valuable. So... W- no matter how I'm journaling, why should I bother? Talk to me. What is the advantage? Why should I do this? Why should you journal or why should you use a mind journal? Let's start with why should I journal in general? So for me, um, and I always come back to me just because of the the, the, the sort of impact it's had on my life, um, is the sort of best place for me to kind of speak from. Um, I've always found it quite difficult to kind of talk about things that are on my mind. I have quite a busy mind. I have quite an anxious mind. Uh, I've got a ton of ideas that are constantly running through it that I either want to try and create or build on, or, you know, I'm just quite an excitable kind of, uh, hyped person. You uh, sound so very I, excitable and hyped. <laughs> Calm down, Ollie. Sorry. I kind of need, I need somewhere to put, um, all this stuff. Um, and so journaling for me has been a place where I can, yeah, just let rip and, and, and put down all, all these kind of thoughts and ideas and, and how I'm feeling about certain things. Um, and it's, it's a legacy thing for me from way back years ago when I had a, a mental breakdown um, and couldn't really process uh, that breakdown. I couldn't process the emotions that I was experiencing. Um, and it was a therapist that um, sort of prescribed to me the idea of journaling. Um, 
and that's when I picked it up and that's when I found it to be this you know really powerful thing that allowed me to kind of discover myself and discover all these emotions that I was feeling um and since then I've kind of really built a different life for myself um through figuring everything out through writing and with journaling how did you like it's one thing to all right pick up journaling for yourself and have it make a powerful change in your life and it's just you said like yeah it uh, was really struggling and it helped me get through it a therapist recommended it to me i went through exactly the same thing i had uh upheaval in my life and um it's really struggling and journaling just uh for a few minutes every morning uh really made a, a dramatic change in my my mindset and my outlook and that that helped mm. me um i didn't keep up with it but i did it for about a year and it it made a lasting impact and change so i absolutely i'm with you i see the benefit to it it helps organize your, your thoughts and more importantly help you get a clear view of your self-image and your goals and purpose just for a day if you can get through a day you can make it to the next day and the next yeah totally how did you go from that to saying i want to build a framework and share it with other people i want to be the the world's champion for journaling and get guys past the stigma uh well a lot of trial and error um and a lot of um research and development i think luckily i, I mean i'm a designer uh, by trade so it was relatively easy for me to kind of almost write myself a brief um i, I could see the problem from chatting to my friends that they were having with journaling i could look at the problems that i was facing with journaling even though i'd been doing it for years um and i could essentially build uh, a brief for myself as a as a designer to kind of go okay well how do you solve this problem um and and that was just basically like a side hustle like a side project thing that i i was just working you know as much as i could on to try and figure out how to kind of solve that problem um was it a design thing based around the aesthetics was it just the physicality of a journal was it just did it just need to be a beautiful notebook and and that would do or did it have to have a a system or some kind of guidance in it to kind of take you through the steps of of learning how to journal um and then that's when i i, I sort of realized that the way that i got into journaling was when my therapist um she gave me like an a4 sheet of paper with all these emotions on it like i think i think there was like 50 emotions on it and she said just start each uh journaling session by picking two or three emotions that you're feeling uh and use them as a starting point sort of ask yourself why am i feeling this way um and that was always the best way that i found to journal was just start by sort of jotting them down and then sort of kicking off from there um and that became the basis and the foundation for Mind Journal was it was around starting with connecting with how you're actually feeling in that moment and then sort of diving a little bit deeper into yourself to kind of unlock why you might be feeling that way. Um, and so this system just grew from there, basically. And how did you then go from that to, well, we're, we're going to sell this on the internet? <laughs> like, what was the moment where you said huh, I think I could sell journals. I, uh, I don't really know, to be honest. Uh, I think I was just, again, running it past my mates and saying, what do you think? Like, they're pretty brutal guys. I mean, they're going to be honest with me if they think it's a completely stupid idea. Um, and when they came back and said, I think there's something in this, I, I, I would give it a go. 
I thought to myself, these are quite sceptical guys that wouldn't necessarily think about this stuff. Uh, Maybe I'm onto something um, and maybe we should put up a little launch page just to collect some email addresses, just to see if there's any, any vague interest at all in, in this idea. Um, And as soon as we did that and we started to see a trickle of interest from, you know, people outside of my network, people that I just didn't even know. Um, that's when we thought, okay, there's potentially a market here. Why don't we take it to Kickstarter and, you know, really sort of kick the tires and see if this thing's got some legs and see if some guys want to get involved in it. So the timeline here was you started journaling to help with your own life. And then you realized, you know, can I, using my design background, can I make a better journal? Can I help uh, my friends? with journaling and then from there once you had validated that idea said all right well let's see if people other than my friends are interested in it so you put up a a wait list page you put up uh just like a a web page that described the idea and said if you want to know more give us your email and you started getting strangers to do that how did you promote that page I think it was just basic stuff like i put it up on my linkedin just to put it out to my network and then the wider network of people that connected to your other your, you know your wider network outside of that um, a few design blogs where you can just put up a website that looks cool uh, and other people sort of vote on it but um, I thought that would be a good way of maybe generating a little bit of traffic just to sort of test it um, and that was pretty much it I think it was just real low level um, I didn't want to really invest too much in it in terms of driving you know paid traffic to it or doing too much sort of shouting about it because we were still in that kind of early days of trying to figure it out ourselves and what we wanted the brand to be and, and how it was going to work. And um, we just wanted to get that initial idea validated in a very small way, um, two to 300 random people to sign up to something that at the moment doesn't really make any sense. I mean, I, I think our first holding page for it, like our, our, our landing page just to grab email addresses was so vague um, that, I thought, well, if it's if it's vague at this point and we get some interest, then we can we can build on that even more. Um, and that's just, that's all we kind of did, really. Um, that's as simple as it, it, it. I felt that it needed to be. And once you had that that external validation that gave you the confidence to go forward with it, what was the next move? Was it Kickstarter? Yeah. So then the next move was like, okay, uh, we hit that target of like two to three hundred people to that that have just popped in their email address to sort of say, you know, Hey, I'm up for this. This sounds, this sounds interesting. Um, so we thought, okay, well, why don't we, why don't we do the next thing, which is evolve this and turn this into a Kickstarter campaign. Um, and then, you know, part of, part of doing a Kickstarter is a lot of pre, you're doing a lot of pre-marketing to get to that point. You're building a lot of pre-hype, um, because when you run a Kickstarter, you have a very short amount of time to, to hit your goal, to hit your funding target. 30 days, so we, right? Well, yeah, it's like 30 days. Sometimes you can set it to 25. I think some go to 35 maybe. I think there's like a sliding scale. Um, but you have like this one shot, one window opportunity to just smash it and hit your target. Um, and so knowing that, we knew that the work we did beforehand would be incredibly important to the success of the, success of the Kickstarter. Um, so when we knew that we were going to go to Kickstarter, I think we set ourselves like a a six month roadmap. So we knew that we had six months to build as much hype as possible, get as people, get as many email addresses as possible to, that we could send out the, the campaign to. 
would further validate it for us. We went along and also test uh, the, the different ideas that we were having to this community that we were building pre-Kickstarter. How long did you pre-promote before launching the Kickstarter? What's that playbook look like? So the playbook looked like, I mean, for us, looking back now, um, it was I mean, it was incredibly stressful and incredibly tough because at the same time as we was developing the product, we was also marketing the product and and developing the strategy for the campaign. Um, so we were doing a lot of outreach to the press, building up relationships, building up our, our press list of contacts and, and bloggers and writers and, and the rest of it. Um, all the content that would go out for the campaign. Um, and so it was like, yeah, I think we'd set ourselves this sixth, six month goal from when we'd wrapped up this landing page, initial landing page idea. Uh, it was a six month, six month target to just steadily grow the hype machine. If you like getting to the point of we're announcing the launch now. Before ever launching the Kickstarter, you spent six months building relationships, building an early audience, a list and creating that hype and laying the groundwork before this Kickstarter. Yeah. And building the brand. I mean, we were essentially building a new niche, you know, men's journaling, um, you know, uh, a brand that was essentially focused around men's mental health and rebranding men's mental health, but in a completely different, uh, vibe, you know, with a different aesthetic and a different set of language. Um, there was no, there was no other sort of, um, brand out there that we could kind of learn from uh, we were doing it ourselves and relying on the feedback we were getting from our very small community at the time um, to tell us what they liked and what they didn't like and what was working and what wasn't working um, so we we this this long roadmap that we set ourselves uh, helped us to kind of guarantee the the success almost um, of the campaign that, I think that's brilliant because you knew hey, if we build it, they won't come. You can't just throw something out there, even on a platform meant for that, like Kickstarter, and expect people mm. to show up. So you knew, and you put in six months of work. That's incredible. From once you did launch the Kickstarter, having laid all this out, what happened? Uh, <laughs> what happened was quite spectacular, really. Um, I don't think we really understood how big it would go uh, but i think within we, we switched it on on the 29th of february 2016 we pushed the the go live button um and backers started backing it straight away i mean we were asking for twenty thousand pounds which for us was a huge amount of money to to set as a funding goal um considering other brands that were notebooks or journals um were usually hovering around the sort of ten thousand um pounds kind of funding target and we would double that um because we wanted to create this super premium kind of offering um we thought this is not gonna this this isn't gonna happen we're you know we're we're out of our minds this is this is just not gonna take off but within 72 hours we'd been fully funded we had a huge amount of press from some really big uh media outlets and the funding just kept pouring in and just kept pouring in and the messages from guys and the comments we were getting and the stories that were being shared were just, you know, they were really emotional. I mean, some of the guys were like really like bearing their souls and expressing not just a want for what we were doing, but an actual need. Um, and I think that was the thing that blew us away the most was how much this thing was actually needed. Well, all right. So what was the the final total? What did you raise on Kickstarter? 
I think the final total was £45,000 roughly. I think it was just under forty six um, within 25 days. That's very good. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> well in excess of your, your goal. And what do you owe this success to? Like, did, what did you include your story and your reason yes. for doing it in there? Yes, I think that was the... We knew that that was going to play a big part in in the campaign being a success and it's what we focused our kickstarter video predominantly around um i mean uh, the rule with facebook with the rule with kickstarter is to is to have a um is to have a video um it's the first thing that people see it's it's almost like how your campaign is judged essentially um and so we invested a lot of time into that video um we went to a place in the uk called cheddar gorge which is kind of like a it's like a cut out rock system of kind of cliff faces and hard edges and mountainous kind of landscapes. And we went in January, which is like the middle of winter here. It was, uh, the weather was just atrocious. It was just so barren, so bleak. Um, everything was just, it was freezing cold. It was chucking it down with rain. And we just shot all day of just me sort of climbing this mountainous route. Um, and we had like, you know, these amazing kind of drone shots that were following me and every now and then I would stop and I'd get out my journal and, and I'd, and I'd do some writing. And the, the idea behind it was to kind of take the viewer on a journey of, of my journey of starting at the bottom and essentially getting to the top. Um, it was like a metaphorical kind of visual visualization. Um, and along the way I'm narrating the video and telling my story and telling the, the suicide of my mom and, and the things that I've been through. Um, and, where I want to to end up and how journeying is, is has helped me get there, um, and I think that was the thing that that really resonated and connected with so many people. That's I mean it, it's such a, a a tragic and personal story. Were you were I would be I'd be scared. Were you scared putting yourself out there like that? I was terrified. I don't think um, no one no one knew. I mean I was. Um, I've been a freelance graphic designer in my in my uh, in the place that I lived in the town that I was living Brighton uh, for six seven years something like that. I had a huge network of people and a, and, and a lot of friends and no one really knew uh, anything that I'd been through. Uh, they just knew me as Ollie the designer guy. Um, so the idea of me being you know really vulnerable and putting myself out there and sharing this really quite uh, personal story was absolutely terrifying but it just felt like the right thing to do um it felt like uh it felt like it gave everything i've been through more purpose and a bit more worthwhile um it just felt like it was the right time and i think at around that time it was like the 10 year anniversary of of my mum's death so it was almost like a way of kind of bookending that chapter of my life and sort of letting it go but was to just let it out and just sort of tell the world um and to 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 think that journaling had helped me along the way to go from not being able to talk about my emotions to learning about my emotions and then learning how to talk about them to other human beings to then end up making a film about it and putting it on the internet was just a it was just quite a moving way of of uh of ending it, I suppose. Amazing. So it, in many ways, it, it gave meaning and purpose and, and even closure to your experience. 
yeah i mean for me the whole the whole thing with mind journal has been a, a huge personal experience i mean um that entire kickstarter campaign was hugely cathartic for myself i, I it, it allowed me to process um so much personal stuff um and to validate everything i'd been through and connect with other guys that were also struggling or, or going through or had gone through similar things um it kind of reminded us that we're not alone in 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 the things that we struggle with or experience in life. So this not only launched a a business for you and helped change change people's lives, but it created a community for you, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it, the it, that's one thing we always wanted to to to, to focus on with the brand was to kind of not just be almost like a a soulless company was to build something that was bigger than just a notebook, bigger than the product almost, that it was about this idea of connecting and this idea of connecting with yourself and connecting with others and building better relationships. Um, and that's what we kind of really wanted to, yeah, to create at the beginning. So we knew that in order to kind of connect with people and to, to do this, that I had to put myself out there and, be the first one to kind of make contact, if that makes sense. Hold up. It's safe to say that most of us have been doing more shopping online lately. I know I have. There's just a pile of packages in front of my door. I can't even get the front door open. But if you're an e-commerce brand, that means you might be seeing more first-time customers. But once they've made that first purchase, how do you keep them coming back? That's what Klaviyo is for. Klaviyo is the ultimate email and SMS marketing platform for e-commerce brands. It gives you the tools to build your list, send memorable emails, automate critical messages, and more. Way, way more. That's why more than 30,000 e-commerce brands like Chubby's, Brooklinen, and Keysmart use Klaviyo to build a loyal following. Strong customer relationships mean more repeat sales, enthusiastic word of mouth, and less depending on third-party ads. Now, whether you're launching a new business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo can help you get growing faster. And it's free to get started. Visit Clavio.com to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. Talk to him. Once this Kickstarter was successful, I assume you had no issues shipping the product as that it becomes troublesome uh, for a lot of a lot of brands that are new to manufacturing. Uh, it oh, was, you, know, you had some uh, issues. All right, what are yeah, they? Yeah, well, I think it was. I think it was just kind of like the logistics of uh, figuring out how this was going to work. I mean, I think when you're looking at everything on a spreadsheet and on paper, and you kind of go, "Oh, we're ordering fifteen hundred journals from Italy," you know, and they're just going to arrive on a truck, and you don't really think for some reason, especially when you've never done it and you're a designer, so you're just used to pixels and the internet and just things that don't really exist. When then a you know pallet full of stock arrives and you go oh this isn't going to fit in the living room i need to get a warehouse i need to get storage i need to get tables i need to get people to help box and pack these up and this is actually going to take more than a couple of hours and just some sellotape um so that was a lot of fun to try and figure out um and back then when we did it in 2016 there wasn't as many tools to help you with the actual uh processing of that many orders um through uh, fulfillment companies or fulfillment systems um so a lot of it we had to do quite manually which was just a super laborious uh and ball ache of a job but we did it with no glitches 
it was just a it was just a quick sort of steep learning curve for us to kind of go it was trial by fire but you survived yes yeah okay. exactly yeah and if you had to do kickstarter over again or the product launch over again is there anything you would do differently if you could go back in time and tell yourself like here's this one thing you got to know this and then the time portal closes i probably would have gone a bit harder on the marketing i think i was a, i think there was an apprehension around is this actually even going to work? And that hindsight being a beautiful thing, which is, had I known that it was going to work, I would have just doubled down. I would have gone into paid advertising. I would have hooked up with a PR agency. I would have, you know, would have, would have, I would have done what the kind of bigger brands do now on Kickstarter, which is invest quite heavily into uh, their marketing. We did it a lot uh, organically, did it ourselves, did the PR and outreach ourselves. Um which was hugely time consuming and therefore, you know, resulted in a smaller uh, amount of impact that we had. It was still enough and a still an incredible amount that we achieved on our own. But yeah, I would have just gone in a little bit more harder. I think you did such a good job with the pre-launch. That was the last thing I would have guessed that you were going to say. It's like, man, we should have gone <laughs> harder. Like, well, it sounds like you did pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but I always just, I think, you know, I'm like that kid who always wants more. You know, I think for me it was like, oh, we, you know, we could have even, we could have got even more guys on board. We could have, you know, um, but that was, I think for me, it was like the Kickstarter ended and then we were like, holy crap. Uh, what's, what's possible now? You know, what, what can we, what can we really do with this thing? Um, and how do we do it? Uh, we clearly have something. If the Kickstarter was our like super validator, which it essentially was, we had that validation. So for us, it was a kind of like, we're back to the drawing board a little bit because we've sold out of the stock. We didn't have enough money because we broke even to buy more stock. So we were essentially back to square one. Ouch. But what we, but what we really knew was, this is, this is a thing. Uh, we're really, really onto something now. How, how do we go to the next level? Um, and that's, that's kind of the result of, the, of our Kickstarter. And, once the, the Kickstarter is over and the orders are shipped, what happens then? Where do you go from there? Well, you look at the bank account and you kind of go, ah, um, that was awesome, but we still don't have any money. Um, so how do we make more product uh, and how do we get it to, to more guys? Um, and at the same time, we were still you know, running our studio, uh, doing design work for clients. So our time was still split um, between MindJournal and the pay in business. And so we were kind of like stuck in this limbo mode of not really knowing what to do and, and, and how to go to that next step. And, and then a, um, a, well, a literary agent got in touch with us and said, um, Oh, I saw your campaign. I thought it was amazing. Have you ever thought about, you know, selling the idea to a book publishing company um, and turning this into a book? Um, and at that time we were like, well, here we go. This is, this is what we're meant to do. Um, we didn't actively go out and look for this opportunity. It just, you know, it was just a phone, random phone call one day that I picked up. Um, and then that led to uh, us going around some of the UK and the world's biggest publishers, um, pitching the idea and, and receiving a ton of proposals back to us of, of uh, why we should pick this publisher over another publisher. Isn't it a great feeling to be the, the prize in that relationship months prior, no one knew who you were <laughs> and no one knew and no one cared. And then suddenly you've got these publishers fighting over providing service to you. Isn't that an, um, 
it it's quite it, a, a change and it just it's so validating and freeing and and feels so good because it's like i mean you put your heart and soul into this and then to to have that the tables turn like that must have been tremendous yeah it was an incredible feeling i think for us it was a kind of very surreal moment especially when we were going into the offices of the publishers like you know penguin random house and um uh, Hollow and Stoughton, you know, the big names, you know, um, and you're seeing like posters of like J.K. Rowling's books and other incredible authors, and uh, and you're sitting in there going, what the hell is going on? What, what, it, what? Why are we in here? <laughs> Surely there's a mistake. So that was an incredible experience uh, itself, and again, like you say, like validating, you know, what we were building and, and the idea that we had. We just had to navigate this next process that we had no experience in i had no experience of, of licensing of of publishing of the publishing world it just was another area for us to kind of go right okay we need to unpick this we need to think about what's best for the brand what's best for the business what's best for our, our community and our guys you know make a decision and and navigate our way through it as best we can from once you had it published next step is build your shopify store right yeah so the book deal was awesome and it got published on the anniversary of my birthday, which I didn't pick. They didn't pick. It was just a random date that was selected. And that was the date that it was good to, to come out. And so that was a bit spooky. That was a kind of like, that was almost like a validation from mum almost going like, yeah, you, you, this is, this is, I give it, I give it my, the, the universe saying I approve. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool. However, the book didn't do um, as well as we hoped. Um, I think there's a lot to be learnt with the publishing world on both sides, um, whether it's authors or whether it's the, the publishers themselves. We were kind of left at the end of it thinking um, we're still not really in control of helping as many guys as we can. We're still not in control of producing more content and producing more products, essentially, um, because we were at the it was down to the publishers to kind of agree to to produce the ideas that we were coming up with um and you know they're a big machine and they have to focus on their investments that they're you know and the money that they're allocating to other authors and the projects they've got on their books etc so that's when we thought okay i think it was late 2017 we thought why don't we just go back to square one essentially and and you know um build our own product again you know take the system that we've created that's again been further validated and, and refined with the book the book version and wrap it up into this uh, you know into a beautiful journal that we we still felt like we were missing um use everything we'd learned in the kickstarter with manufacturing and shipping and all the logistics and the supply chain stuff and and have a go at this shopify thing um i believed in the platform and i could see a lot of businesses doing really well on there and the whole direct to consumer thing was was you know really starting to take off and so i thought here we go we've got the perfect thing for the platform let's just go for it um and so i think in 2000 i think it was 2018 uh we thought yeah let's let's go for it and let's essentially relaunch uh, our new edition and that's what we did so wait so it went kickstarter and you ma manufactured it on your own and then you went to um book publishers to just publish it and sell it traditionally in bookstores and then yep. that didn't do what you wanted and then you said all right let's let's be our own publisher manufacture it and go direct to consumer with a shopify mm. site yeah okay and that probably that probably took some capital 
And you said you had um, you ran into the the cash flow inventory issue that a lot of people do, especially post Kickstarter, where it's like, all right, well, all the money we made from that needs to just go into producing more. Did you have any uh, issues with with cash flow or capital? We've yes, we did, but we just bootstrapped it, and that's pretty much what we did throughout that first period of when we self-published again uh, under the our own Shopify store. Is just boot, we just bootstrapped the whole thing. Um, and that was through personal credit cards uh, and the money that we were making from our studio business. We were able to kind of reinvest that capital back into the other business, the Mind Journal, um, and kind of keep the lights on um, essentially as we were growing it and trying to figure out how do you market this product? How, how are we going to actually generate traffic essentially now to our store, our own store, switch it from where we're having to pay to keep the lights on where it can actually stand on its own two legs and it can pay for itself? That was the the process that we that we took from there. What was the thing? Because have like the successful Kickstarter helps because now you've got a list and you have customers and people mm-hmm. know about you and you've got those press logos. But you still have a brand new website that needs to have traffic driven to it. What was the the thing that helped you reach the tipping point where you're like, all right, this is going to make it. We could shut the studio down and just focus on mind journals. Predominantly Facebook ads. That was the thing that we tried so many channels. We tried so many tactics. Um, we realized that uh, for our audience, that um, organic social was just uh, a very long, it's a very long game that you've got to play with like organic social um, and, and social media strategy. And to produce that amount of content and to build a brand around a niche that doesn't necessarily exist and isn't something that technically feels like cool for guys to kind of connect with off straight off the bat, you kind of got to take them on a quite a long journey to understanding the benefits of, of why this is important, how it works for them and the result of doing it. So our, our, our funnel was quite long. We knew that email was super critical, critical for us to kind of showcasing our knowledge and, and, and getting content across versus social. But when we discovered uh, the power of, of, paid social especially within facebook and instagram that's what propelled the the other flows with it within it and underneath it to really kind of lift and take things off so you had to it's a long sales cycle people aren't just going to impulse buy this thing and so you've got multiple touch points is what it sounds like mm. was the the key thing here yeah i mean we've got like um we have like a, a free guidebook pdf that we allow people to download if they put their email address in so that then gives them uh, a, a test few pages to kind of print out and try out on their own so that gives them you know two three weeks of content to kind of play around with we then send out a lot of emails we do a, a weekly email called mindful monday um, which is a curated uh, list of articles that we put together um, that just keeps our list warm um, but provides value to our audience um, there, there is, it's always articles that are very kind of like important to the lives of the guys that are in our community so we put that together and that goes out every week at the same time they expect it if it doesn't go out on time people are hammering our email account going where's the email uh, what's going on i didn't get a newsletter this week is everything okay um wow so that's <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> to have that <laughs> i took a break for my newsletter i promise not w- over the holidays not one person was like where's the newsletter <laughs> it did not happen <laughs> 
So if we're late, even by like sometimes 15 minutes, uh, we get a few emails come in that says, is everything okay? Did I miss it? I've checked my spam. I don't know what's going on. And we're like, oh no, we're just running late. We're just putting the finishing touches to it. It'll be out in a minute. This weekly newsletter doesn't even sell anything. It's a curated no. list of like, hey, here's motivational articles. Yeah, that's it, essentially. Um, we scour the web. We sign up to hundreds of, of, of newsletters ourselves. And then we sit down once a week as a team and we go through these articles to kind of see what the best themes are, what we ran last week, what the what are interesting talking points. Um, is there anything relative to like the seasonality of what's going on in, in people's lives? Um, and then, yeah, we break them down into bite-sized chunks and then we link people off to those articles. And this is the Mindful Monday newsletter. I like that you have branded the name of the newsletter. I need to do this, but I'm not clever enough. Yeah, so we, we, we branded it up and it's it's become our own, it's become like a its own product, essentially. It's a free product. Uh, it's just it, that it's an email. It provides value. It reminds people around what we're doing and why it's important to kind of follow us on, on this journey. And then when we then when we want to sell them something, when we have an offer or we or we're running a promo, whatever it is, they're more receptive to it. They're, 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 they're going to be interested in that content that we're going to send out to them. So we see a great return on our email um, because we keep them engaged the whole time. Every week we're keeping them engaged. We're not just always selling to them. That's incredible. Yeah, you need to... Harley Fickelstein told us years ago, he said he's the, the CEO of Shopify. Um, he said, give more value than you take. And that really, that stuck with me. I said, well, all right, I got to make sure that I'm doing that. Be mindful about it. And now years later, having lived it, it really is an incredible marketing tactic. Like that yeah. producing value, giving people value freely, that is how you get the, these loyal, true believer customers who are like, oh my gosh, did I miss your newsletter? I mean, quite, quite extraordinary what you've built. I mean, I learned it off of uh, the, 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 the book I, I learned that from was, and I have to give credit to David Hyatt, uh, who is the author of Do Open. I think his book is, I think he's got a company called Do Books and their books are incredible. They're just tiny little books that just give you the most incredible amount of value. I think the first one we read was Do Purpose of his, which was around creating a brand with purpose. We, we read that before we built the Mind Journal brand and a lot of the information that he had in that book has fed directly into our brand. Uh, and then do open, which is about how to create a newsletter that essentially grows your business is what we've used to essentially build and harness this this email community that we've created. I love it. I love when people have book recommendations for me. I I will include a link to um, it's the do book dot co by by David Hyatt, H-I-E-A-T-T, not David Hyatt. I think that's it. Yeah. 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 Um, it's all in. I'll include that in here. That is And the tiny book. So it's not like you've got to read like a 500 million words, you know, chunky seven inch book thing. It's like you'll read it probably within a day and you'll go, that was so easy. I can, I can action these points straight. Those are my favorite books. I like, I like the little ones. As you've built this business, it has very much been about you and, and your story um, and personal discovery what have you what do you think you've learned about yourself or or entrepreneurship or running a bit what's your 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 takeaway your personal takeaways from this because you've been doing it for almost five years now i've learned i suppose that telling your story or uh being vulnerable is okay i think that was the biggest thing that was the biggest fear i had initially which was you know putting out all my past and, and talking about the, the heavier stuff um and how that would be 
um, how people would react to it essentially would people judge me or would think people think differently of me and that in itself has given me the belief in myself to kind of trust myself a little bit more um to take to take more risks i suppose and i think that's what helped us think about when we went to building our own shopify store which was like we had the validation that was all fine and we knew that was going to be okay but it was the trust in ourselves that we could actually make it a reality and do the best we could for this community. There's a lot of responsibility, it feels like, especially with the kind of category that we've put ourselves in. You know, our guys rely on this on the newsletter that we send out on a, on a Monday. So they definitely rely on the product that we've created and we have to now kind of keep creating it. We kind of owe that. But everything we've kind of been through, I kind of trust myself to kind of continue learning, continue trying to be the best entrepreneur I can be to keep this... Um, keep this thing alive that I've kind of created. I like that you see the social responsibility in what you do. I think that that's important and it helps give you purpose. As you're reflecting on this journey, what is the, the one piece of advice you would give to other entrepreneurs who are thinking about launching, you know, uh, maybe they're starting their first brand or, or Shopify store or just launching a new product in 2020? I think there's there's an, a thing that I've learned around perfectionism and there's this, I think there's, a, is it Facebook? Was it Facebook that said it kind of like? Um, the one I like was from the the team who rebooted Dig, which did not work well. They said, uh, fuck it, ship it. <laughs> Very yeah, eloquent. Yeah. Move fast and break things, I think is the Facebook one. That's the one, yeah. Um, so I like them, but I think there's an element of don't try and break things, but you should definitely try and almost like get out your own way um, and you know, this launch page that we did initially just to test the idea, just initially just think, okay, has this got any legs? Just let's collect a, a couple of hundred email addresses and not invest too much time or energy into it. Now I could have, as a designer, I could have spent weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months finessing over the logo and the font choice and the, the landing page layout and the UX of it and the whole, you know, the copywriting and the whole thing. But that was just pointless. There was no need to do that at that time. Um, and I didn't because I just thought to myself, I just need to put this thing up there. Once we knew we had something, then we spent the time, six months planning to get to that Kickstarter point. It's almost like the thing I've learned is to just sort of find uh, the times when you need to do things quickly and then find the times when you need to actually take your time. No, absolutely. I think the there's a lot of good quotes about this and some good aphorisms like um, Voltaire who said, perfect is the enemy of good. I like to misquote this one as perfect is the enemy of done. Like if you're always striving for perfection at stage one, it won't happen. Create mm. any creative thing, and most things in life are an iterative process. So I think the reality is expect that version one of anything you do will suck, and that's okay. By version six, yeah. it will be awesome. But you don't start at version six. You start at version one, and that, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. yeah, and also I think with, with the, 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 the great thing about something not being perfect is it gives, it gives your audience something to kind of contribute towards making it perfect, which gives them something that they feel that they're part of. And that's something we've kind of constantly um, built our, our business around, which is like, let's put it back to the guys and see what they want. Like, let's ask them, you know, our new product, the Jota, for example, we did, we never had the idea for that. They told us to make it. Um, they told us what they wanted in it. They told us how they wanted it to work, what color they wanted it. Um, we just followed orders essentially. Um, if we had thought of our own product and spent the time to perfect it, it might not have come out as good as what our guys have actually created. Um, so there's a lesson there in itself that it's, 
you're missing that opportunity if you're doing it all yourself and not allowing others to kind of contribute to that to that development. You have to listen to your to your customers. And so yeah. you have on day one, you don't necessarily have the customers. So you built a thing for you. And I think that's the journey most entrepreneurs take, at least the ones I talk to. And then by subsequent products and versions, ah, now you have the audience. In your case, you have a loyal, committed fan base that you have responsibility to and who is invested in you. And so you can turn around and say, all right, help us build the next great thing that you want. So I think there's mm. a lot of a lot of wisdom in that. If someone is thinking, man, I got to get on this journaling thing. This sounds pretty good. Uh <laughs> They head to where do they go and tell us about the special offer you have for us? Uh, so yeah, head to mindjournals.com and you will um, find out everything about uh, Mind Journal, how it works, and um, yeah, um, you can see you can uh, sign up to Mindful Monday, which is always worthwhile doing, um, and yeah, or you can follow us on Instagram at Mind Journal. I think it's at Mind Journal. Um, you can follow us up there. All right. I have included those links in the show notes. Uh, mindjournals.com. Use code KURT20 and you will get 20% off your first journal. Ollie, thank you for joining us. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Big news from our friends at Out of the Sandbox this month. Their newest theme just launched. It's called Flux. And it's for those of us who loved all the bells and whistles and turbo, but thought, I need more of this. That's where Flex is a game changer for you. It can be configured in an endless number of ways thanks to more layout and section options than ever, more granular control of settings, and easy addition of custom CSS through the theme editor. It's perfect for development agencies like ourselves, as well as e-commerce entrepreneurs like you looking to create a unique online store experience for your customers. Now here's the coolest part. Flex has a new Demo Shop Import feature that allows you to fast-track your shop setup based on any of 12 demo shops. You get all of the theme settings, layouts, content, and sections used in that demo shop of your choice applied automatically to your store. You can check Flex out right now at outofthesandbox.com. And if you like it, take 20% off the purchase price when you use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's outofthesandbox.com and code PODCAST20. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.